Bang of the Hound. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a very special episode of the Bang of the Hound. So this is the first one I've done with a guest who falls a little bit outside of my realm. Um, now, normally everyone knows I do the martial arts podcasts and I specialize on my teachers and the guys I train with over the years. Um, but we're now touching on my second big love in the universe, which is professional wrestling, which is something I've been with for quite some time now. And it is my singular honor and privilege and pleasure to have with me the one and only Airborne Alex Anthony. Welcome to the show, my brother. <laughs> uh, the, the, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you very much. Yeah. So thanks for joining us, man. Um, just a, a little introduction for how I came across you, because I actually first saw you on the CWE um, when uh, uh, Danny Duggan was doing those tours in Canada. And having oh. my dojo, we sponsor those, um, a lot of the shows and events and things when they come to Calgary. Um, being a huge mark and quite an unashamed one as well, uh, I like to watch. I I like what I I know what I like in wrestlers, and I know you know it doesn't all have to be the same. You know, some I like the power guys and the high flies, but I like a good solid work, and I like some wrestling in my wrestling, kind of old fashioned right. that way. So the first time I saw you was I think, oh man, it wasn't a Colt Cabana show. It was might even maybe been... Nikita Koloff. Yes, I think it was. It might have been the keto, or maybe even the one before that, because I've literally I've done so many of them. They kind of all work at one. Same here. But <laughs> but I loved your work right from the get go, and it was clearly a guy that took here's a, here's a guy that takes the industry seriously, takes him you know takes what he does seriously. Because even though we all know wrestling is not a legitimate sporting endeavor, it doesn't mean that it's not legitimate. Um, so that's kind of my my approach with so. Yeah, to me, it was a no-brainer to have uh, to have you on as a guest. So, um, oh, well, so thanks for joining. Appreciate it. I appreciate being the first pro wrestler as well. Yeah, it's it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's cool. <laughs> so, I mean, as was always the way when I interview people, let's go right back to the beginning. I mean, your story, even in your your, you know, not getting into formative formative years, but when you left home and then you joined, you did more in five years than many people do in their lives. Um, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so let's go back. Yeah. Just tell tell us a little bit about about yourself way back at the beginning. Oh um, uh, well, well, I was uh, born and raised in Montclair, New Jersey, little small town right outside of New York City, about 15, 20 minutes outside of New York City. Uh, and ever since day one, I just loved professional wrestling. For me, it was never. I was never really big into any other sports. Never really cared too much about cartoons and all that. But to me, Saturday morning meant wrestling. It's time. First time I got to see, you know, Hulk Hogan come out, yeah. Macho Man and the Junkyard Dog, I was hooked. And, you know, my family didn't have too much money in the beginning. So, you know, for me, it was just basic cable. We didn't have cable at the time. So, you know, it took me, I, I, I got turned on to the NWA and WCW through the magazines at first. You know, at this time, you can go to the local corner store and you'd have just not only the WWF magazine or WCW NWA magazine, but you'd have, you know, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated and the Inside Wrestling and the old the Wrestler. Exactly. You had so many different points of view and perspective of different companies and different areas of being covered. So that's how I got turned on to everything. And, you know, maybe I wouldn't be able to see, you know, the Road Warriors every weekend on, you know, Saturday night, but uh, I get to see through the magazines, you know, what damage and, and havoc they were causing, yeah. so to speak. And, uh, you know, I didn't get cable TV until uh, I believe it was the end of 91. That's when I, then that, I remember the first pay-per-view that really got me hooked was, I, and this whole time, I'm, 
at this time, I'm probably about seven, eight years old, and mm. I've always been into wrestling. But when I saw Ron Simmons versus Lex Luger, the build up to that Halloween Havoc 1991 match was, oh, that was amazing to me. Dude, I, I, one of the most underrated matches of all time. Now, you've got two guys. I mean, I'm a huge Ron fan. I make no bones about that. And me- meeting him, because of all the guys we met, like when, when Danny brought him up, we had Nikita, we had Jake the Snake, we had, you know, all these guys he brings in. Ron, when he came in, man, I was like, <laughs> you had Ron, who's like just coming out of his run as Doom, one of my favorite tag teams as well. Um, and Luger, who, I mean, looked like a million dollars, moved right. like a fridge. Um, so not a great worker by any stretch of imagination, but definitely had the look and the match. But you got to remember too, he he also had Harley Race in the corner there too. Yeah, which, which is which also true. Yeah, because this was after that heel turn. Exactly. Um, but that match, the the structure and the psychology in that match for two guys that you wouldn't have thought would put a match on. I I can watch that match today and still dig it. It, it it's aged so well. It really has. So that's amazing to bring that match up. And, and like I said, I was never big into other sports, but like that's how I found out about uh, college football and Bobby Bowden. Now Ron had his jersey retired. Then they went back there and interviewed his old coach and showing him run up the steps at the yeah. stadium and all that. That that was that was great stuff to me, and that, that's what had me hooked there. After that, you know, it was always about the story to me. Like a lot of times, people will come up to me and say, you know. What's your style? Are you a cruiserweight? You do the, you know, to me, it was always, no, I'm a, I'm a worker. You know, I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. this is, you got to, you got, I'm a storyteller. This is the whole thing is tell a story. I think Ray Mysterio was a, one of the greatest workers of all time. And a lot of people classify him, I think, as a high flyer. But, you know, he did so much with so many different guys in all shapes and sizes. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, it's just if you're a good worker, you're not a good worker. That's what it comes down to. I'd agree. I agree 100%. And there's a lot of people that may be watching this that might not be quite so embedded into the pro wrestling world as, uh, as, as, uh, as me and certainly yourself. And we all know, obviously, since Vince came out, that it's sports entertainment now is what he called it. It's not, you know, it's not legit. But the kayfabe and the protecting of the industry was so strong for years. And right. do, you, do you think that the more modern product has lost some of it. Because the athleticism these days is far above and beyond anything that you used to see back in the day. You can't even compare it. But you don't have the heart and the soul to the product so much anymore. Um, Is that something that you've always endeavored to try and bring into your own work when you're actually putting on the show? Absolutely. I think right now what's what's missing, and this is just my personal opinion, I think that big fight feel is missing. I think a lot of times now, yeah. People just go to go to shows just to see, you know, this person versus this person. Whereas to me, it's why are these two guys fighting? Like I, I could care less about the moves they do or the, the the spots they can come up with. But what's the what's the reason behind to why you're fighting? Why why are you gonna go after this guy? What what's the personal beef behind it? To me, that's that's what draws people in, and that's that's what hooks people. To me, I know me as a fan, that's what drew me into characters. Is the reason why they were, you know, the reason why you know. Uh, you know, uh, let's say, you know, Hacksaw Jim Duggan stood up to Yoko Zuna when he first came in in 93, you know. Of course. He wanted to do good. He wanted to knock this big evil, this evil guy off of his feet. You know? And that's why I was, a, un, uh, unfortunately, not very popular, but I was a Jim Duggan fan myself, personally. He didn't sell a lot of t-shirts, but I was a Jim Duggan fan. Jim Duggan was crazy over for, you know, and he he really was. And you forget, when until you look back, the, the crowd just popped for him like nuts. It was, it was incredible. 
I mean, he had he had different countries chanting USA, which is amazing to me. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it really, how can you, like, you go to Canada, with, like, USA, and it's like, oh, screw exactly. it, it's Duggan, we'll just give it him back, we don't care. Exactly. Um, so, that, I mean, that's an interesting point that we bring up, though, um, because the formulas that used to be back in the day, and we're not just talking about the territories, because obviously they operated on their own rules and things, but when you look at the bigger products, I find with the indie scene, I, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I'm a massive indie scene, always have been, love it, support it, it, it's fantastic. Do you find that the way the matches are kind of laid out these days is almost what I call 50-50 booking? So it's like you get your shit in, I get my shit in, one of us will slip on a banana peel, you know, you get the win in. Um, you don't, there's no one that's like, oh shit, that man's coming to town. He destroys everybody. So I'm not saying you have to have, you know, everybody losing clean and all that sort of thing but there's no dominant superstars on the indie scene so much anymore and even on the, the big scene there's no one that literally just cuts a sway through the whole promotion and and becomes that that amount immovable mountain sort of thing uh, do you think that's missing we, oh yeah but but then you gotta you gotta remember there's not uh loyalty is not really a thing anymore because there's so many different options for guys to go where yeah they don't true. really have unless there's a there's a big money payday or, or some type of agreement set in place where you know, why do I need to agree to come to all your shows each and every month where, okay, maybe this month worked out, but next month, this mm-hmm. guy in town B over here wants to give me more money to go over there and do another just blow off match over there. No, you that's know, true. He's, he's trying to go where the more money is. Yeah. But, I mean, I think per, I think in the long run, I think it would be better if, you know, guys stayed in one area and developed, you know, that region or that, that company that they're working with and, you know, bring guys in and out that way. But, you know, it's a lot harder or it's a lot easier now to make – uh well, I mean, not right now, right now with the, the whole virus and everything, but <laughs> these days in general, there's a lot more, more, a lot more companies to work for. Okay. So, um, I mean, and that's something else um, that, again, is slightly different these days. And Jim Cornette in particular is one that he's, he's always talking about things like that. Um, do you find that you have different styles um, in different areas or is it now almost like, everyone's pretty much a, a flat sort of expectation for regions and areas. Yeah, I think, I think it's pretty much plateaued for the, for the most part. I broke in in 2004 and at that time I broke in in North Carolina in the South. And at that time it was still more of you call it in the ring and, you know, mm. maybe we just know what's going to, what the finish is going to be. But for the most part, we just go on a fly and listen to the people out there. And, and the Northeast was more known for, you know, spot, 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 spot. And now, where to me it seems as now it's more mostly every place is basically spot spot spot. There's a couple few places though. Like I like Canada, how for the most part, like across the country, there's a lot of still good uh, wrestling going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a good company in Phoenix, Phoenix Championship Wrestling. There's a lot of still good, a lot of good wrestling going on there, and places like that. But yeah, for the most part, I think that the spots is what's. I don't, I don't see personally how how that can thrive in long term if that makes sense yeah no that does that does make sense because again it's like okay we've seen it exactly and and again not to divert away because you're the source of the interview not me um i remember i saw an interview with tully blanchard and he said these days you see high spot high spot somersault flip somersault flip another one you do your shit and then all of a sudden it's like oh i'm expected to now sell a punch Exactly. I've just taken 15 flips and now I've got to sell a punch. It's like, why would I do that? I've already established that right. you can't hurt me. Um. A, a big a big pet peeve. I mean, there's a couple, but a big pet peeve of mine is when guys will do the old uh, 
take the shoulder into the steel post and not sell the steel post at all. Like your shoulder should be done for the rest of the match after eating a, after eating a steel post. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, man. unless you've never unless you've never felt that before, that really hurts. Like I don't understand <laughs> why guys don't they don't acknowledge it whatsoever anymore. <laughs> Oh, man. Now, this is now turning into a private conversation between how we would book promotions. So let's get back on your history. Before, right? So, I mean, Airborne Alex Anthony, I, we know how you got the name, but tell us about that. So you left home at 16. Was that like, I mean, because going way back to the beginning and things. So we know you were a fan growing up, like so many of us watching the TV shows and things. And that put that seed in your head to always become the pro wrestler. So take us on the next steps of that journey, how you managed to come along that. Oh, yeah. So, so my family is actually, I'm actually, first generation American so my family actually came from Africa to America mm. and uh, so obviously naturally they were against me wanting to do anything in the sports entertainment realm whatsoever but that's what I took it upon myself at 16 to say I'm going enough to make my own decisions and I'll, I'll do this on my own <laughs> so I did that I left home at 16 and uh, that didn't work out quite the way I wanted to so I was right back home at 17 but then I found out that through a recruiter a local recruiter at the time that I could go through uh, what was called uh, Job Corps. And instead of finishing high school, because I just moved from New Jersey to Pennsylvania, my mom moved uh, locations. And I was finishing my senior year in high school and I didn't want to finish my senior year at a different school. So I was talking to this recruiter and I told him that, you know, I was just trying to get through high school to join the military. And I just wanted to join the military just to get the money for wrestling school. So the, 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 uh, the recruiter actually told me that they would pay for wrestling school. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, that's no problem. Really? Holy well, crap. So this is, well, so that, that's what I said too. But this, that's, and that's exactly the reaction you thought you should have, but it's not the right one. Because I found out later that they were lying completely, 100%. <laughs> oh, shit. They, they, oh, they only, they only meant, by schooling, they only meant college. See, and I knew they meant they pay for the GI Bill or pay for college, but I specifically asked, would this pay for wrestling school as well? And they told me, yeah, but they bold faced told me a, a lie. So that wasn't true whatsoever. But in, in turn, it actually did because all I did was use my paycheck to pay for wrestling school. So actually, it did kind of. Indirectly, yeah. they did it, but they just did it, yeah, a little, yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and, I, and, and I always knew I was going to join the military anyway because, like I said, growing up, I always knew I was going to be the biggest guy in the world. But I, all the professional wrestlers that I loved and followed, everybody had a backstory. So I figured, yeah. hey, I'll just join, I'll join the military. I won't have to. And, and this is, like I said, this is right after uh, the Desert Storm in 91. So this is right after the Saddam or the uh, war on Iraq in 91 here in the States. And I'm like seven, eight years old. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'll just join the military. I won't have to go to war. The war is over. So I won't have to go to war or anything. I'll do my time and I'll get out. And then I'll just go there and nobody will know what I did. I could say, hey, I did all this great stuff in the war. <laughs> so that was my plan all the way through high school and everything. Now, remind you, I was supposed to graduate the class of 2001. So that's, uh, that's, that's uh, May of 2001 that I was supposed to graduate. So uh, I, since I transferred to Job Corps, I went there and lived every, I had to live there. It would take me an extra couple months to get my, uh, my diploma before I can go into the military. So I, I think I graduated in September. Oh, I'm sorry, in, uh, in August. So I just had to wait about four weeks and then finish my, uh, we had some automotive training that I had to do before I could actually leave the place and join the military. So as I'm coming back in after, uh, after class one day, after passing, I sit down, it's September 11th, and we're watching the news, and we, we're watching now the, the planes collided with the, the World Trade Center, yep. and all I could think of in my head is, oh, man, this is what I signed up for, because I knew exactly automatically where I was going after this. Right. I, said, I, was, I was just a couple months away, so I graduated, and I left that school, and I enlisted April 1st of 2002. 
I did my basic training and finished all that in July of 2002. Then immediately from there, I went to airborne school and finished that in August of 2002. Then uh, from there, I had, I believe, two weeks off. Then I reported to Fort Bragg, North Carolina in September of 2002. I was trained on mortars there for a month, but then they decided they wanted to put me in artillery pieces and uh, on howitzers and they took and they switched me to a different battery. So I was there in October. So from October to December, or I'm sorry, yeah, October to December, I was training on howitzers, learned to do that. And we shipped out on the Monday after the Royal Rumble of 2003. Wow. Oh my goodness. So I, that's, a, that's one of my favorite matches will always be uh, Angle and Benoit because I remember watching that match and all. And then just the next day leaving and, and flying, we, we stopped in Germany before we hit uh, Afghanistan. That whole flat, I just remember thinking, man, how great that match was. Yeah, and another match that still holds up to this day. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the best of all time. And um, I believe it's the first time they ever had a, a round of applause on WWE TV, televised at least. Wouldn't surprise me, actually, because it was that high level of match. It really was between those guys. So while you're in the military, obviously you're doing the military training and your focus is about the, you know, the, the theater of combat and things like that as well. Were you doing any physical training and prep for your eventual pro wrestling career? Like, you know, anything along those lines? Uh, not, not consciously, no. I mean, for being airborne means your cardio has got to be good. So indirectly, that helped me out a lot. Absolutely. You're always constantly, you're always constantly running. And another thing, too, with, with uh, being airborne is you learn what's called a parachute landing fall, a PLF. It's basically how to take a bump without breaking everything. So when you jump out of plane, oh wow, okay, that would explain a lot. It teaches you how to crumble and roll. And all I could think of is, okay, once you jump, just do the old macho man off the top to the outside. Once you land, you just crumble up and ball with it. That's it. Protect your knees in the long run. So yeah, that helped a lot. It's like I said, also did the the running with the cardio that helped a lot. Wow. So I mean, you did um, the tour. Um, and you did all your, your stuff out there. Um, I'm actually, I mean, we're 20 minutes in. Um, we're going to have to do a second interview with you, bro. We've got so much we can get into on this. So we're going to do another one down the line. Um, that's, that's, so having finished the tour, and I'm sure there's a lot of material we can get into there down the line, um, when you come back, how did you break in? Did someone break you in, or did you seek out a training school? Oh, well, my idea was to, once I got out of the military, I only signed up for three years. And I said, uh, I signed up when I was 18 years old. I, I, by the time I was to get out, it's going to be 21, 2005. And I said, you know, once I, once I get out, I'll, I'll, that's when I'll look for a school. I have my money saved up and everything. Right. But uh, once I got back from Afghanistan and all the close encounters with life and death and everything that happened over there, I got back in uh, October of 2003, I believe. And I believe it was November or December of 2003, I started looking online to the closest wrestling schools in the area of where I was in North Carolina. And I came across uh, the House of Pain in Sanford, North Carolina, uh -huh. which was about a 45-minute drive from Fort Bragg. And uh, Super Bowl Sunday, 2004, I just went down there and uh, I had my child lined up. It was with a guy named Bad Brad Hunter. And uh, I was pretty confident, you know, you know, I... I, by this time, Tough Enough already came on, and they, they kind of right. exposed how to take the uh, flat back bump. So, you know, I'd practiced that when it first debuted, and I always felt pretty confident, you know, just, you know, the style. And this is what I've been wanting to do my whole life. It's what I've been watching my whole life. And uh, the one mistake I did, I got the, the appointments from 1, 1 p.m., Super Bowl Sunday, and I got there about 12 noon. 
So I just give myself some extra time just in case, make sure I don't run into traffic or anything. That's fine. So I didn't eat anything all day. And there was a uh, restaurant right next door. I said, oh, you know what? I'll just give me a little small fries just to hold me over. So, you know, I don't, I'm not resting on an empty stomach or anything. So I did that, got some fries, ran the rolls for the first time. Now, mind you, I had been running. We, we run miles in the military almost every other day. Every Monday we had a monster. It's called Monster Monday Runs. We run nine miles every Monday. And so I, I felt pretty confident in my cardio. But the first time I actually ran the ropes and took bumps at the same time, I threw up all those fries and I was the most <laughs> embarrassed guy in the world. But to, to their credit, they, nobody ever made fun of me. They never looked down on me. They never ever brought it up after that. And I appreciated that. I think that's actually for a lot of people that watch wrestling and you see the crisscrosses and the rope runs and things like that as well. They don't know, because I mean, I'll be honest with you, even when I was, it was always one of my dreams to be a pro wrestler. I didn't end up going down that route, although I am still determined to have a match before I die. Um, but I actually did do uh, four months training at um, the gym local to Calgary, the the old uh, uh, TJ's downtown, uh, BJ's rather downtown, where all the guys, and I trained with Randy Myers um, and Dynamite Dan Myers and, and a lot of the guys there. And it, I was the same because I've been in martial arts most, you know, 30 plus years now. And I was in pretty good shape. I was in the cops at the time. So I was pretty fit. And I was the same thing. Like I was breathing through my arsehole after the first five <laughs> minutes because it, it was, I, I was not prepared for how bad that was going to be. <laughs> it was yeah. so rotten. And it, it's an interesting thing when we talk about fitness and fit for purpose, because coming from the military, you'd have been a cardio machine, but oh, yeah. there's in shape. And then there's ring shape, and then not absolutely. the same thing. Yep, absolutely. Even now, like even now with this whole quarantine and everything, I can run out here all the miles I want to, but it's still not the same as hitting the roads back and forth and taking a bump. And I know those that once I get back in there, that is going to take me a while to catch up back to that. How long would it take you to get back into ring shape, having taken that time off? Do you think? Well, I just need about a week straight, I... seven straight days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> so that was your, your first wrestling school. How many people were in a class? Um was it Oh, a- I was ve- I was very lucky. It was just me and maybe maybe two other guys. Oh, so you got a lot of close up cl- personal attention with that then. And, and even on top of that, like I said it was the the head trainer was a guy named Bad Brad Hunter, but be- unbeknownst to me is right down the road was the Hardy Boys and a guy named CW Anderson. And actually CW was the first guy I met that he came maybe a week later. And he, I didn't know that he would come down and start training with the guys and helping us out. And I got a lot of one-on-one time with him as well as Matt Hardy and Shannon Moore. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a very big blessing in disguise. Holy crap. That's, that's quite the pedigree. <laughs> yeah. And I, like I said, that, that was my first. Uh, like I said, I started, in, uh, I started training in March. Oh, I'm sorry, February of 04. Had my first match in March, the end of March of 04. And then I started doing TV, TV matches in uh, May of 04. So I got I got moved up pretty quick there. I was very fortunate. What was like the early days of the training like there? Um, what how did they sort of bring? Was it like we'll get you in the idea of taking a bump and getting you in some ring shape before we start tying you up, or did they kind well, of like by, do everything at once? By the time I got there, like I said I, I, what I would do is I do my my mil, my military stuff from Monday through Friday, regular stuff, and uh, I only I only actually. Uh, started training training before my first match maybe three or four weeks mm-hmm. so what I would do is Monday through Friday my military stuff Saturdays we go do a show wherever and then Sundays would be training days and yeah Sundays we just uh, we start with a little bit of cardio 
and then yeah just bump and for the most part we just wrestle for like oh man maybe two three hours straight i can remember we just doing so many like if there was three of us we just do a three-way we mm-hmm. do different three ways like okay you two guys are the heels you're the baby face and switch and you know this is the scenario this way and this is scenario that way and uh that's why i give i love that i was broken in the south because i feel like i got to learn a lot of uh psychology at a, at a young age right as far as as far as wrestling age and the beginning instead of learning the spots and the moves first and then having to learn okay now why am i want to do this and why are we doing this whereas i thought of that first before i actually went and did the move well that's good i mean for again the story has to come first i have to know why you're doing this you know that's, um, that's the connection that's that's your connection right there with the people yeah, absolutely. You know, um, so I mean, the, I mean, in the Carolinas, what a place to break in, man. That's that's oh, yeah. hotbed down there. You know, yeah. a lot of great guys at the time. Like I said, Shannon Moore was down there. Uh, Matt Hardy was down there. At the, when he wasn't, I believe this was at the time when he was doing his stuff with Kane on TV. Right. So he would in between, he'd come down there and work, and just a lot of Caprice Coleman was down there. I remember at the time, uh, a guy by the name of Scotty Matthews was there. A lot of good guys at the time. How long do you actually train there for? What, how, what was your duration or your apprenticeship, for want of a better word, at that school? I was there for about a year, from 2004 until I got out of the military in 2005. Then I moved back to the Northeast and started doing more uh, Northeastern shows. When was your first match? Did they brace you that straight away? Or did they wait and say, yeah, you're ready, go yeah. out and do one? Yeah, it's about three weeks after I started training, there was my Holy first match. Shit. And that was, uh, <laughs> that was March of uh, March of '04. Holy shit, man! That's quick. Yeah, but like I said they they teach you old school down there. Where as I said, you 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 get told to finish, but then everything else is you you're working you're working out there. And you're you're not. It's not too much spot 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 spot. It's more you're feeling what the crowd wants and you're giving it to them. Do you remember who your first opponent was? A uh, guy by the name of uh, Fabio. Fabio, like as in the yeah. Fabio with the hair. Yeah, on. exactly. Yeah, with the hair. He did. He did that gimmick. He did that gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, was he more experienced than you, or was this two like um, greeners going out there? Yeah, no, no. He was actually pretty good too. Uh, I, I mean, I heard he quit maybe three or four years afterwards. But yeah, he was really, really good. I think he'd been working maybe three or four years. Okay. Uh, before I before I got there, great so shape and didn't get blown up. He was, he was good. You remember if you were heel or face? I was babyface, man. I was. Oh, I came well, out. I, mean, I, I, I didn't. I was too. I didn't. Uh, nobody smarted me up to bring my own entrance music for some reason. I thought they just have something for me, like a superstar. So yeah, I came uh-huh. out to uh, Bob Backlund's entrance music. Right. Okay. So obviously, <laughs> if you were playing face, then the heel would have been calling a match on that anyway. So which is probably he was able to guide you through that a little, maybe. Yeah, but we just put some together like the week before and just practice it at the school. So it was like oh, a big bad. choreographed thing. Yeah. It was more so just they wanted to see my selling and how I reacted with the crowd out there. Right. Okay. So, again, I'll clue in a few because I think everybody does know what wrestling is, but we're throwing a lot of terms out there. Selling is how you react to something to convey the emotion of the moment, whether that's pain or anger or, or joy, whatever. Um, right. Heel is the bad guy. Face is the good guy. So just in case there's right. like two people who are watching this that don't know what those terms are, now we kind of like covered that off. So we can gotcha. Was that, so having done your first match, um, was that a confirmation that, yeah, you know what, this, this is what I meant, this right here, this is what I'm supposed to be doing? It was, but it wasn't because my goal was always to be the ring general. Like I, I always admired guys that could get in there with anybody and 
not know what's supposed to quote unquote happen or just go out there and get things done. So that was my always, I always, that was my always, my, my goal was to always be able to go out there with anybody and be able to be the ring general out there. And I didn't, I didn't achieve that. I didn't feel that I achieved that until, whoa, probably maybe 2008, 2009, maybe like years later. Yeah, man. Well, I can imagine it being so hard to do that, especially with different shapes, sizes, temperaments, people wanting to get themselves over and all that stuff you have to then contend with. So you did a year at this school, then you moved on and stuff. Um, what was the next evolution in your career? How did you go from there? Uh, I started doing more uh, East Coast, uh, North, oh, sorry, Northeast uh, wrestling promotions. Uh, at this time, this was probably, what, 2005. Uh, yes, yeah, so I was doing like more New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, indie shows. Uh, at this time, I'm still, I'm getting antsy. I feel like I want to do more and I think I could do more. So I started doing more research and I found out about Ohio Valley Wrestling. And I find out that, oh, you can, you can go down there and learn with the best and all this. Wow. 2007, I, was, I believe it was maybe December 20th. It was the day after Christmas in 2007. I said, all right, threw all my belongings in the car, drove down there. Said, I'm going to try and make this work. Went to, uh, I got enrolled and I was enrolled in uh, Rip Rogers class after I did the, uh, the tryout. So I went to him, I went to his class and did a couple classes. I was so broke at the time. I was living, at this time I was living out of my car, literally. I was in between hotels and when I couldn't afford the hotel, I was in my car. So at this point, I remember one day I said, okay, well, maybe if I pay him in nickels or in quarters and dimes, maybe he'll take it easy on me. I did that. No, nope, not at all. He had me stand there and count it out in front of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was like, yeah, all right, all right, let's, let's get it. Let's get the training. So uh, after my money finally ran out, and uh, I believe I was, in, I was there for probably about four weeks. January, my money ran out, sold everything I had just for gas money to get back home. I uh, got back home in, in 2008. And then uh, I remember seeing advertisements for uh, Steve Carino was starting a wrestling school mm -hmm. uh, in the area at the time. And uh, I said, all right, well, that's not, that's not far from me. I'll go see what he has to say. So I remember the first day I went there, was, uh, he had a ring set up in like a uh, gym parking lot. I said, all right, let me see what you can do. I did a couple of things for him. He said he liked me. And I, ever since then, put me on all his shows. And that was in May. I met him in May. We had, we became good friends by then. And then I remember I enrolled myself in a couple of college classes and uh, it was October of 2008. And I was, I was sitting in a movie theater. So I didn't feel like going to class that day for some reason. So it was like early on, maybe 1 PM and I was sitting there and I got a text message and, he, and it's Steve and he says, Hey, do you have a passport? And I said, no, I don't. Do I need one? And he said, well, yeah, if you can get one, I can send you to Japan uh, in a couple weeks. And I said, all right, consider it done. So uh, I went, got that passport that day. <laughs> well, I left that. I didn't even stay for the movie. Left that day and went and got the passport. And he sent me to uh, to Japan my first time in uh, October of 2008. Wow. And what was and that, that like? Because that's a very different environment than the States, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for as soon as you get off the plane, they have the big placard cards and you got to sign an autograph. And uh, this, one, this one was a tour for... Uh, it was like a joint promotion tour. So it was like honoring Danny Hodge and Masa Chono, I believe. And uh, like it was a lot of like uh, Christopher Daniels was there on the card. The machine guns were there. Wow. Um, Masato Tanaka. Uh, yeah, a lot of guys. Uh, a lot of guys were there. And I, I believe it was a two-week tour. And uh, my, you got to forgive me. My memory's a little foggy. No, that's so okay. We wrestled, <laughs> we, wrestled mainly, we wrestled mainly at the uh, 
which was a big, huge check, check, check mark off list for me was uh, wrestling at the Sumo Palace and also Cork and Hall. So that's where the, uh, the tournament, I believe, was mainly at the Sumo Palace. But then we did a couple of shows at like uh, Cork and Hall and uh, First Ring in Chinkiba. Wow. Now, you dropped a name there that when we were setting up the interview, I got excited about as well, and I already dropped it in there, which was Danny Hodge. Um, now I know you didn't, you said, you know, you didn't train him for that long. It was like a good week and all that sort of thing. But Danny Hodge to me is one of those guys that when you hear his name, like, oh, cause my background in, in that I do with the catch wrestling and the authentic stuff, Hodge is still a name that we hear in our circles as a guy that right. he would literally like, cause he was famous for like just grabbing things, just busting them with his hands. And, 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 he, and he, he did that. He did, he did the apple gimmick there in front of, yeah. the, in front of the people he there every night. He did it. But he was also a legendary shooter and hooker, too. He was known for the guy that could literally break you in half if, if the, the fancy took him. What was it like working with that? Or just soaking in knowledge from Danny? Yeah, I was surprised how still how knowledgeable he still was at his advanced age. He was still on it. And even not just mentally, but physically, how fast he was still able to, to move. <laughs> I mean, the way he could go into a top wrist lock so fast was amazing for, like I said, like, for his age and you would think that he's he's frail and he, he he's slow to move but once you start talking wrestling and you just see his eyes light up and then he goes right into it and, and I, I personally appreciate it it looks like he took a personal liking to like smaller guys right. and he would always you know he'd always you know tell you, you know make sure this is how you protect yourself and you know this is why you want to hook your heel here or grab his heel here this is where you put the momentum and this is what's going to push him back he always took that time out to explain why you do something and you know what it's going to cause and somebody like me that helps out a lot if i know okay this is what it's going to do if i do this so that's the reaction that i want to get yeah 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 that's a man i i can't even imagine i'd have just been i, I think i'd have been speechless for a bit i'll be honest yeah it was him and shono they ran the camp together am i correct in that yeah i mean it was mainly chono i mean you know danny Hodge. he was there on the side but he was very readily available for anybody who wanted to go up to him and ask him, hey, you have any pointers? He was more than willing to put you in a hole and show you how it works. That's the old Billy Robinson approach to things. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to tell you, I'll show you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I think it makes you appreciate the hold a lot more if you, know, if, you, if you have it on and you see how it hurts. Well, I mean, that's got to help you um, from the perspective of when you're presenting a story. and you, you know, I know what this is supposed to do. So if you got me in a top wrist lock, I'm not going to start selling my knee. You know, well, stupid example. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I know what this not is. Only, not only that, if I'm trying to work out there with a guy that's, you know, twice, three times my size, and for whatever reason, he's not selling what I want. All right, man, this is like, I'm trying to work with you. But if you don't, I know exactly where to put the person <laughs> in if you want me to put it there. And okay. I've, had, I've had to use it a time or two. Oh, no, that sounds like, a, go into that, because that sounds like a few, uh, a few stories coming from that. <laughs> You don't have to name yeah. names. Just run through it. Okay. Well, yeah. There's there's a couple times yeah I've been tried before. I mean, and I've I've expected I've always expected it, but there was a couple times in Japan yeah I was tried and you have to put it back on them and that's what that's where you learn. If like the one the one I, I will tell you about is Otani. He's the one if you see that right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he gave me that old the old boots in the corner and that's what took that that uh that tooth out. <laughs> Holy and it was on it was on, it was on that tour that I found out that yeah you're gonna really have to start fighting back. That's what I that's when I really learned what it meant to fight back. Because in Japan they they still they take that shit seriously. They know oh, yeah. they know who's ultimately gonna win the match, but you're gonna win that. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And then Otani, he was over there. He didn't like my size, I think, for the most part. And so it's it, it doesn't matter how good it looked or how, how good it sounded. If he personally felt that it didn't feel good, he's going to hit you twice as hard until you hit him, until he, he likes the way that you hit him. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's an education right there. And he's like, he's like, he's, he's, he's a nice little bit taller than me. So I got I had to aim up and as hard as possible, which is a lot harder to get your force behind. So, I mean, as, as a worker and as someone that, you know, you, you, your desire is always to tell the best story that you can. And, and you've, you've hinted at a few. Have you ever had to like really potato somebody just to like kind of get the point across? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Go on, we'll get into that, man, because I love those tales. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean uh, and, and don't get me wrong, it's not like I'm a tough guy or anything. I've had it done to me as well. It's just that uh, I, I always learned that there's something about pain that makes somebody remember. For example, if we're supposed to do something and, and guy A over here decides that, okay, well, I like the way the people are cheering for me. I'm not done with this yet. And, uh, you know, maybe it's time to move on. Maybe it's time to stop. Or sometimes guys get a little, they're, they're green and they forget, you know, where they're supposed to be or, you know, how they're supposed to do something. You got to, you know, sometimes a good, nice little thud will wake you up. Yeah, as we used to say in, uh, in Havoc, quite no sense, sci fi docent. What hurts often instructs. There you go, come pie. who has been your favorite opponent i mean again i'm cognizant of the time because this i could talk all day like this um so who's been your favorite opponent that you've actually uh, been against so far if indeed you have one oh i mean uh one of my favorites uh would have to be his head's got a lot of bigger now but ricky reyes was always one of my favorites i felt like we always had good chemistry Mm -hmm. he goes by uh cortez castro now maybe on lucha underground yeah yeah yeah, he he was always one of my favorites, and then anytime I could tag uh, with Tuco Scorpio, it's always a good time. Oh man, yeah, because now Tuco was a, a bit of a mentor for us as well, wasn't he, man? Absolutely, yeah. Like the past, uh, the past, the last six months of uh, last year, we were uh, in Colorado working together as tag team champions. And as and another yeah, just, guy, I mean, what a worker! Holy hell! Uh, and still has it. Still has. Still has the. The, the, the mental uh, acumen for it, so it has the, the, the physical capabilities to do it, still can go. Now, one of the things I find interesting um, with a guy like Tuchold, because he's, again, perceived as the high flyer, and you know people overlook his basics as well, which are always been rock solid. But he's known as a tough son of a bitch as well. He, like, don't take a backward step from no one, does he? <laughs> no, not at all. Nobody at all. And I, and I agree with you. I think he's... He's very underrated for that. Yeah, he's definitely one of the toughest guys I've ever met in my life. So in the world these days, it's less about what you can do and more about what you can look like. Um, but you've, you, you kind of, you were at that branch period where it was coming to the end of the old and bringing in the new sort of thing as well. Um, what has been like the takeaways that you put into your own personal style? Have you taken bits from that or do you just kind of, have you always kind of run with your own theme? Uh, I mean, I've always liked to believe that I've, I've just patted myself out of all the guys I've watched in the eighties and nineties, as far as storytelling to me, it's like all the moves are they're going to come and go. There's always going to be a new move created or somebody's going to bring back an old move. But for the most part, it's always a story. It's always why, like I said, my, my first storyline that I really, really remember was Hogan and Andre. And the mm. WrestleMania three build up. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, me at me at four years old watching that is the whole story was can Hulkster body slam Andre? Can he do it? Can he beat this giant? I mean, that was the whole build up for me. I didn't care about if he hit the leg drop or whatever move. To me it was just could he get past him? 
to me. I think we've kind of we've kind of lost. I mean, I, I ask a lot of people, and maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong, but I ask a lot of people, like, what's the last besides anything televised? What's the last good feud that you've heard about on the Indies where people are talking about it? Like, hey, did you hear about so and so versus so and so? Whereas opposed to now, I think for the most part, you hear about, hey, did you hear about so and so? He can do this move, or hey, did you see this guy do this move at this show? To me, it's kind of like uh, we're not. It's more. It's more taking than give and take how it's supposed to be. Yeah. But then again, that's just my opinion. No, I'd, I'd actually agree with you, and it kind of goes back to that question I asked earlier about the level of booking, because everyone's going to be fifty-fifty and that sort of thing, because nobody wants to keep, you know, doing the job, and then well, I'll book. You know, he's going to lose every time anyway. That's right. again possibly from the death of like the territory piece, because you'd have the guy that was top in the territory, the bigger names would come in, and you know, you know, then you get to fight that big name. So you'll sometimes see that in some of the promotions where they'll bring in um, the still active kind of talent and maybe one of the, the guys will have a match with that one and that will put that guy to the next level to move them on, obviously, to a big promotion. But it's the same for me, though, because it's two guys coming together. Now, I'll be honest, and again, the last one I remember was uh, Sanchez against Duggan because um, on the CWE tour because well, he fucked him up in one of the matches. And so, hell, they run with it. They made a story out of it. Now, I don't know if that was planned or that was just serendipitous. But that, when, you, when you ask the question, I'll answer it. That was the last one I remember because obviously I'm kind of in tune with those guys a lot. Right. Um, but you're right. There isn't or certainly not that same level of continuity. And you don't get that bill. Like the Hogan-Andre thing, WWE... I mean, it's a testament to the marketing and how they promote that because people are still, oh my God, Andre got slammed. It's like, yeah, dude, he got slammed about 40 times prior. To that. Before <laughs> that, right. Even, even by Hogan. <laughs> right. Even by Hogan. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true, you know. Um, so we are getting towards the last 15 minutes run on this. I mean, this is, uh, again, oh, wow. yeah, isn't it though? That's that's a, when you're just like riffing and it just goes, it's flying past. Um, I'm going to bring in just like, What's your who's your favorite worker of all time? Give me give me maybe top three of the guys that you 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 really look up to. Oh man, now we're just talking just strictly work work profession, right? We're not talking about personal lives or what he did. No, no, right? Past, yeah, I'll, I'll, yes, good point. <laughs> I'll, uh, yeah, and I know where you're going. I know exactly who you're going to pick. Now you said that. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, we're, we're purely talking about their ability to work in the ring, present a match, have a match the top three workers. I think we just gave him one away there, was, uh, but carry on. <laughs> right, yeah. Chris Melman is going to be my number one. Okay, yep, yep. <laughs> Fair. I, I, don't, I don't think there's one bad match he's ever had anywhere, and I've, I've tried to find it. I've, I haven't found it yet. He's definitely one, I'd say. I mean, and after that, there's no particular order. He's, he's definitely my number one, and then after that, I mean, there's Kurt Angle, uh, Ron Simmons, uh, Booker T, uh, the model Rick Martel, I think, is oh, very underrated. Yes, yes, yes. I'm so glad you uh, named him. He gets overlooked yeah. so often. Absolutely. Brad Armstrong is another guy I think is very Boy, overlooked. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, man, there's, there's so many. I mean, there's – I've always – and me, I'm a Midnight Express Stan Lane guy. With Stan and Bobby, that was Mid Midnight Express for me. Poetry in motion with those boys as well. See, I mean, I mean, it's cool. You're naming a lot of the – I mean, for the UK people, we grew up on the world of sport product. Um, 
Which for, yes, I mean, dude, that's for anyone that hasn't seen UK World of Sport, which is particularly for the Canadian American people watching this, go look it up because it's a very different pace. We had weight classes, we had rounds. It was a very different game. I, I, I blame I blame you guy for a uh, giant haystacks in the WCW <laughs> World War Three match. Oh he was no, come on, he he was a big <laughs> dude and he took a payday, you know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I know, man. I, that, that, when he was Loch Ness Monster, he was so far past being any level of worker at that You're point. Right. And it was, it was amazing. Um, <laughs> but we had a very different game doing that. But for us, for the American product, we had the WWE and we had what was Sky TV, which was kind of our equivalent of satellite TV back then. But not everybody had it. Now, the UK terrestrial channels bought the old NWA WCW product. So a lot of the names you're throwing out, like Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane, Ron Simmons, uh, Brad Armstrong, I knew these guys in the UK because this was we couldn't get WWE. Well, the only wrestling we can get that's American is these guys. So well, we'll watch this as well. So I, this is how I got my my, my favorites. Like um, I'm throwing a name out now, which might make you raise an eyebrow, but one of my all-time favorites is Danny Spivey. Uh, oh wow! I'm a massive Danny Spivey fan. Now, I, I grant he's not the smoothest worker. He doesn't necessarily have the best look. But I believed him. When he came out, he looked fucking nuts. I believe that. (laughs) You know? You know what? I I think the Waylon Mercy gimmick was way ahead of its time. So it was just such a shame he was past his peak at that point. His knees were shot because he could have run. That was a money gimmick right there. I think even if they would have put him as like that, to me, that was like the Bray Wyatt in 95 before Bray Wyatt. Even if he would have just been a manager of a staple or something, I think they could have ran off. As a kind of authority figure, hell yeah. But then again, I thought I thought Bob Backlund in '95 was great. I think that was very underrated. I agree. I agree with that. I, th- I, I thought the old man shaking his thumb at everybody or his finger at everybody, telling him you're too young and you're wrong. I thought that was great. It really was. I mean, I mean for me, I, I like the work. I mean, I've got there's no consistency to what I look for in a work. I just look like someone I can actually like their work and I believe in the character. So, I mean, my favorite of all time is Ricky Steamboat, without a shadow of a doubt. I, I, I think he's just the most complete professional I've ever seen in there. But then you've got guys like, obviously, Kurt Hennig. Um, uh, Barry Windham was another one I was a yeah. massive fan of. Um, tremendously underrated talent, in my opinion. And... Again, I, I'm glad you mentioned because Rick Martel is one of those guys that he his feud with Jake Roberts um, yeah. uh, with the blind man squiddly billy match as it's now known. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. um, but his his ability to generate heat was almost unparalleled. He was such a prick that it was like that's his job, man. Even the masterpiece that him and Sean did at a SummerSlam at Wembley when it was a heel versus or a bad guy versus bad guy match and just. The, the story they told with them, how difficult that is to do is when you, when you have the whole stadium wanting to boo both guys, yeah. you know, how do you make that match make sense? And how do you get them to be interested in it the whole time? And man, they did a tremendous job at that. And that was when they had the no punching the face stipulation because yep. they were so good looking. To <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. So, I mean, First and foremost, um, we're getting into the last 10 minutes or so. So I would you be okay to do this again in a week or two just to get yeah, some? Yeah, yeah. This has been Absolutely. fascinating. I mean, it's, it's almost been fan service for me just talking about wrestling. Um, but, but I'm going to throw it out to the floor for some questions. i got one from Kim. Um, so, Kim, I'm going to bring you on camera. Let's bring you on. Uh, I'll unmute you there.
And there she goes. Let me unmute you. And I'm okay, Kim, go. Hi. Um, what, hey. When you were touring with CWE and Nikita, what was the one piece of advice you took to heart? From Nikita? Mm -hmm. Oh, man, because I've actually I've stayed in touch with Nikita since then, but uh, probably just be always be positive. Have a positive outlook on things. I mean, that's just that's, that's that's the the thing I think that I took away from that. I kind of, I think about constantly every day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, also, you guys so are doing good. We're doing good, Alex. You? Oh yeah, great, great. Good to see you, my friend. Likewise. Fantastic. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for that. Thank you. Uh, now, Nikita. Um, he was a guy that is another one that I was a big fan of growing up. So there was, a, I mean, there was a series of like the big names that Danny brought in. There was Nikita, then there was Jake. I miss Brutus. I'm not sad that I missed that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Um, and then obviously there was Ron, um, uh, which was, you know, a thing. But Nikita was a guy that he's really got a different, avenue for himself now hasn't he he's like doing the motivational thing and he's doing all those sort of speeches too so how many of the, the guys have you seen make a success for themselves outside of the ring because so many of them are still clinging to what they used to do um and do you, do you are you in touch with those guys do they give you like you know i did this don't do that make sure that you brace yourself what advice are they giving you looking towards the future when you leave the, the, the wrestling industry yeah, well, Ron, Ron was a big one. I mean, uh, like I said, me and Nikita, we still stay in contact. I, I got to do a little bit better of, of doing it on my end. He, he does it a lot better than I do. Uh, Ron, we talk, we talk a, a lot often. And he was the one actually, you know, making me, force, forcing me to look at my future and, right. you know, uh, look at the long-term things and uh, look at health benefits and look into, you know, this and that. And without going into too much details right now, which – I probably will on the next the next interview, but uh, yeah, Ron he had a big uh, a big helping hand and and uh, and me looking towards my future. I'll put it that way. Right, right, um, yeah, and Ron, yeah, um, enough said. Just yeah, just he, he he helped me get financially set for life. I should say. Fantastic! Uh, what a guy! So, yeah. What a guy! But I'm gonna I'm gonna round it up, bro. So. Um, Thanks for joining us, man. It's been an absolute oh. joy talking to you, brother. Um, Thank you for having me. So if anybody's out there, obviously we're looking at the post-COVID world. So um, tell us about your Instagram, your Facebook, and anything else that oh, you, you want to tell us. I should be better at this, but if you just type in Airborne Alex Anthony on everything, I should be the first one that pops up. That's actually true. And may I recommend the Airborne Alex Anthony logo tee? Oh, there you go. Tell us at uh, ProWrestlingTees.com, Airborne Alex Anthony. So I before I leave, I, I do have a question for you real quick. Sure. Did you guys get WMAC Masters over there when it came with the, the, the television show? We didn't get it, but yes, I know exactly which one you're talking about. I have seen okay. it. We'll, we'll have a discussion about that another, at another point in time. That's a deal. That's an absolute deal. <laughs> um, before we go, I understand you got a documentary coming out about yourself that you were telling me about earlier. Yeah, yeah, and that was actually uh, another thing that Ron put in my ear and 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 forcing me to do, so to speak. And I've I've had a couple people flake on me with the filming wise and the editing wise, but it's looking like next month I'll start shooting in uh in Orlando, and uh, hopefully it'll be done by the end of next month. 
Fantastic. Well, I'm fingers crossed. I mean, hopefully we can prom promo the shit out of it through this. Um, I'm not sure my reach is quite as wide as yours, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Every little bit helps, brother. Yeah, you know what? It's it's all about that. And and speaking of, of helping, thank you for helping me get some um, some new people looking at my channel and things as well. I really, really appreciate it. Um, We'll get together and do this again soon. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for the work you do and for the entertainment you provide because the sacrifices you guys put your body through just to entertain us at our sports halls, gymnasiums, and, and screens across the world. I appreciate, having taken bumps and shit myself, I got an extra appreciation for it. Um, but yeah, you know what, guys? Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us on the Bang of the Hound, man. It's been a joy and a pleasure. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you. All right, man. Well, you take care of yourself, bro. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll uh, be in touch soon. All right. Likewise, brother. See you later. Take care, man. Bye. All right. All right so there we go. Um, what can I say? An absolute pleasure. And once again, an hour flies by. Um, I'll offer a modicum of a caveat and a minor apology for getting really stuck in the pro wrestling side of things there. As you can imagine, see, I'm a big fan, both uh, wrestling in general and Alex specifically. Um, I hope that was uh, as interesting and as uh, fascinating for you guys as it was for me. As always, once I've uploaded this, please feel free to share it anywhere you want, any boards. There's, you know, just get it out there, get people liking it. Um, we'll definitely have him on again. For those of you that are interested in the next Bang of the Hound interview, that will actually be taking place this Sunday. And it's going to be the one and only Sifu Singh, so my personal teacher. Um, it's uh, a big deal to have him on. I'm looking forward to having a, a chat with him. Um, but yeah, fantastic interview today with Alex. Thank you so, so much for joining us, brother. That was an absolute pleasure. And thank you guys for taking the time out of your day and spending an hour here with us. Um, this is The Hound. I'll be signing off now. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll see you next time that we're out there. Thanks very much, guys. See you soon.